From the 915 to H-Town, from the Panhandle Plains to the Valley, and everywhere in between, this is the 5050 Podcast, powered by National Scouting Report. Join me, Hector Cano, as we cover the Texas high school club and college soccer landscape, along with an inside look at the college soccer recruiting scene. The 5050 Podcast is a platform about the people and for the people who are dedicated to the beautiful game. Here we go. It is another edition of the 5050 podcast powered by our proud partners, NSR, National Scouting Report. They are the world's leading authority on all athletic recruiting. You can get more information on what they're about on socials, on Twitter X at NSR now, as well as on Instagram at NSR underscore now. You can also get more information on what they're about on their website at NSR-Inc.com. All right, it is episode 101. My next guest, he is the head women's soccer coach of the UIW, University of the Incarnate Word Cardinals. He is Coach Jake Plant. Coach, how are you, sir? Good, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing great, man. Excited. Excited to finally have my alma mater on here. I've yeah. always, I was all, often getting asked, it's like, hey, when are you going to have UIW on? When are you going to have UIW on? So thank you for, yeah. uh, thank you for making that happen. Thank you for giving your your time. I know it's uh, coach's time, especially a college coach's time is precious and I know it's a little bit of a kind of sort of downtime, even though we also know that doesn't really exist for coaches, right? But uh, thank you for being here, Coach. No, I appreciate the invite. It's uh, yeah, as soon as you asked, it was, it was easy. So yeah, I appreciate you uh, inviting us on. Absolutely, and we're also we're proud to continue our uh, our EIU uh, connection here, right? Yes. Our Eastern Illinois University connection between my uh, my friend Dirk uh, Dirk Bennett, who was recently on here, the head. Um, head coach over at EIU and then now as well as yourself who you came here you came to UIW from there after yep. five seasons so thank you for being here again um, all right coach let's uh, let's dive right in first of all tell us you know season one fall season is in the books yep. how are things going yeah it's good um, you know sort of approaching 12 months in the job now so I came in in January of this year so it's been uh I can't believe it's already a year, to be honest. We've got, but we've got a lot of work done, since, mm -hmm. you know, last spring and into the fall. And you know, I think that if you evaluate the fall um, in terms of position, in terms of what we ended up achieving, which we ended up missing out on playoffs, we we're obviously massively disappointed with that. But in terms of some of the other stuff that we got done in the in the short space of time, we're, we're really proud of it, to be honest. So there's a lot of really good things that we've got going on with the group. Um, we're really happy with the direction it's going. So. Yeah, no, no, nothing too crazy. Just, uh, just like I say, getting year one out of the way and making sure that we're uh, on the right track. And we, we feel like we're there, to be honest. Yeah. What was? What would you say? You look back on 2023, right? Whether whether it goes back, as you mentioned, you've been there for almost a year. Um, whether it was on the field or off the field, what was one thing that maybe surprised you that was significantly easier than you thought, and maybe one thing that turned out to be just a little tougher than maybe you thought going in? Um, I think that you know potentially what the what the job was coming in um, into in January. I thought potentially anytime you start a new job, you, there's this transition of like you've got to get the, the team to trust you. You've got to trust the team. Right. You've got to get to a point where you feel comfortable implementing your, what you your uh, 
your your principles, uh, how you want to go about things, um, and then then there's this period of like how quickly can the team adapt to you? Because ultimately they've got to adapt to me as much as I have to adapt to them too. But they have to adapt to me in, in a new program. And I thought that potentially that would take longer. Um, the group did a really good job of of adapting fast. Um, you know, when it came to specifically the soccer side of things, hey, we're gonna we want to play like this. Here's why. Here's how we're gonna do it. Um, and then we break that all the way down to like the very minute detail of, you know, if we're teaching possession, this is how I want it done. If we're teaching, this is how we sit and watch video. Here's how we analyze video together. This is how we want to get it done. The adaptation phase, I thought potentially would take a long time, um, just because anytime somebody new comes in, it, it can it can be take a while, right? But how quickly the, the group as a whole um, got on board with what we're trying to do really impressed me. So that made it really easy. That made it really enjoyable as well. Um, so that was that was really good. In terms of something that I thought that was difficult, man, I felt like the job is difficult in general, whether you, you've been there for 10 years or for two months. You know, I think that there are different parts of the season where you, you're – and I've had seasons like this at Eastern as well where, like, you're, you're playing well and you're not picking up results. Um, you're creating chances and you're not scoring goals. Um, that was one thing that, you know, we went through a little bit in, the, in September um, that I felt that that was one of those things where, like, it's not that I thought it would be easier to do. It just was a difficult period for us where it's just sort of like you've got to really dig in and stay consistent, which we did, and October was much better for us, and we ended up getting more results. So um, that was probably the the, 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 the the gist of it, really, that I thought that the um, – Year one, I didn't think I'd actually be complaining about, hey, we should be winning these games because sometimes you're a little bit like, well, we'll just see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, won six games in my head, I'm like, we should have won 10. Um, so it's kind of like a good problem to have, um, if that makes sense. Um, but I do think that um, it just makes me more excited for like this spring and what we can get done because the growth, the growth curve in the spring was awesome. We're about to have another one, in my opinion. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, excited for that. Yeah. And, you know, the question for you, you know, year one at UIW, you did five years as uh, as the head coach in charge there at Eastern Illinois. And uh, and you were obviously you were building something very good there. Um, why? Why UIW? Why? You know, why? Why? The, why the change? Was there what was there maybe one or two key factors to that? Or, or were you just at that stage in your career when you reflect after year one? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that. Um... There's a few. There's a few reasons to be fair why we made the job because um, even though I was a head coach at Eastern for five years, I was also an assistant coach there from 2014 as well. So and then I played there. So I'd actually been in Charleston, Illinois, from 2012 through you know 2023 essentially. So going like 10 years, um, give or take. I met my wife there, had my baby there. Um, we had a lot of roots in Charleston. I cared deeply about the community there. Cared deeply about the the players and the admin there and things like that. So I think that um, what I tell people, I tell people that story, especially in recruiting, you know, people ask me, well, why did you come to this, you know, UIW? Mm-hmm. It, it did take kind of a special place to, to make me go, hmm, that's, that, that sounds like a really good place for me to do two things, which are the most important things for me, which is to uh, raise my family. Um, you know, I think that San Antonio is such a beautiful city. Uh, it's diverse. Um, my wife's family are bilingual. I want to raise my son bilingual. What a great place to do it in San Antonio, right? And then, uh, but in terms of just like a you know safe place and, and a good place to, to to raise him, and then obviously future babies too, hopefully. 
Um, and then the second side of things is obviously just my ambition to grow programs. You know, I think that um, if I have an ambition in life, it's to grow things, like to, to like say, hey, I'm going to take it from here and then move it to there. And, you know, I think it's, you know, UIW as an institution, um, the program where it was at, the conference that we're in, uh, the city that we can recruit it to, the campus is beautiful. You know, I think for me, it was one of those opportunities where I'm like, man, it, the pressure's on me to do really well, I think, which is a good pressure, because I don't know why we wouldn't be able to be successful here, in my opinion, if we do things correctly. Um, we, have, we, have, we have resources, we have beautiful campus, great city, good people. Um, the institution backs what we're trying to do, um, work for good people. Um, so San Antonio and UIW appealed to me and my family for a number of reasons. Um, you know, I should add the fact that another you know, EIU, uh, you know, fact for you is that the person that I was an assistant coach for was Kiki Lara, who's the UIW men's coach right now. Um, so I worked for him and basically became sort of, you know, phenomenal friends, best friends almost, so to speak, in terms of the, the years that we spent grinding at EIU. He came here in 2020 and um, obviously the opportunity to come and work side by side with him and, you know, my family and his family are just, you know, uh, are, are really intermingled as well. So there was just a lot of good things that made me go that this, this is a great opportunity um, for me professionally. You know, I'm a young head coach, have been a young head coach. So I think that for me, it's this point, like a new project. Let me see if I can really test myself. So I think that's the big thing for me. I felt that I'll finish the, the question now. I think this place will really help me go, you can get this done at this level, to be honest, uh, because of the opportunity that I think we have in front of us is the fact that I should be able to get this done. And that, that's the ambition and, and belief in, in what we're doing. Here. Awesome. Great stuff. You mentioned previously, you talked about how certain expectations, certain thoughts from the player's perspective also seemed a little, maybe a little earlier than maybe even you anticipated or you expected. But when you look at it as a whole, when you arrived back in January to now, do you feel, do you kind of feel in terms of the program's timeline, your vision for the program, do you feel you're, you're on schedule, maybe a little bit ahead of schedule um, as far as for your liking? Where, where do you feel like you're at right now? Yeah, I guess the, the fall was, was a little confusing. So like I said, I speak so highly of like, I feel like we're a little ahead of schedule in the spring. You know, we started the season off super well. Um, we hit a real lull in September and then pushed on in October. So it's one of those where like sometimes results can make you fickle about what that vision is. I think sometimes, you know, sometimes you just play awful and win one nil and then that win kind of hides some issues. Right. And right. sometimes you can play wonderful, lose one zero. And then everybody thinks it is a disaster and that's not really what's happening. So I do try and really feel like, you know, I take a step. <clears throat> Uh, right on course in terms of what we feel um, we should be achieving. Um, maybe not necessarily in terms of the position in the Southland. We felt like we should have finished higher. Um, right. But in terms of just like where we feel that um, uh, the next spring and fall is going to leave us, I'd say we're right on course. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're happy with it. I, I can't complain, to be honest. You know, the spring really is – it's hard to answer because I think the spring really will reveal all. I think the spring will really, you know, in terms of the determination that I know the girls left the, uh, you know, the fall semester, the, you know, they're home now. When they come right. back in January, those first few weeks tell a lot of coaches everything. You know, mm -hmm. are they coming through the door? Are they dragging through the door? Or are they just motivated to get going? 
Um, yeah. I'm excited to see them come back. So I think we're going to come, they're going to come back and we'll get going pretty quickly. So we'll see. Gotcha. Now, in terms of adjustment, right? Cause, cause you're right. It's like, I'm, and I, I can definitely empathize cause I'm, I'm going through it as well. I guess with you, I just started a new coaching yeah. journey, new coaching uh, job myself back in August. Um, so I understand, right. Players have to adapt to us just as much as we're adapting to them. Um, but I think in terms of, so your, your style, your philosophy, your methodology, how do you feel? How do you feel like implementing that within the program? How do you feel that has gone so far in terms of just, again, going kind of back to that timeline, you go back to last spring through, through the fall, like, which I know you mentioned, and then get it, what you're getting ready to maybe next implement this spring. Yeah. I think the, um, the big, in terms of philosophy, in terms of how I want to go about things is to really to try and build uh, trust within the program, try and make sure that they feel that there's a, I think authenticity is a big thing for me, making sure that they think that like, if I, if, if they feel the coach cares, they really feel that I, I truly care. So like they got to know that when I ask them about how their family's doing, that I can actually name their brothers and their sisters and the mom and the dog. And, and they got to know that like, I actually <laughs> care about who they are. Um, because that's genuinely how my, my principle is. Like I, I, I'm going to care about the athlete before, you know, before the soccer player. Um, because I think that, especially nowadays, I think it's it's something that it's it's now rightly so being emphasised the fact that they are student athletes. Yes, they're athletes. Yes, they're a student, but they're also like this pretty sensitive human that is trying to find their way in the world and also find a way in our program. So I think it's really important that they understand that. Um, you know, me, my staff, Victoria, and I have—they have to feel that we really, truly care about them, um, and that is the number one foundation for us. Um, because what we're also trying to grow is the fact that—and this group already had it when I came in—is the fact that the the relationships between each other is really important. You know, if, if people talk about culture and things like that, and they throw words on the wall and they talk about X, Y, and Z, which is all good, I like it. But I think for me, culture is what you try to be every day. So we're trying to promote the fact that. Um, there got to be a genuine care between each other, genuine care between the staff and uh, and Victoria and myself um, with the kids. And if we do that well, we can implement whichever crazy rule we want to do. And I think they'll they'll blindly follow it, which is a good thing in, in a lot of ways. As long as it's done through a genuine avenue of we want to be a good football team, a good soccer team, which is really what we're trying to do. So how quickly that happens, that might also be the reason why I felt like yeah. This happened quite quickly. I think the girls were quite open to being like, they let their guard down. I think they were wanting somebody to come in and just say, hey, how do you want us to be? We're going to get it done. So I think that they, I already came with a pretty open-minded group. I feel comfortable that um, the, 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 the girls truly believe what we're about and what we're trying to do is, is, is in a really good, positive way for them that's going to benefit them. Um, you know, we talk about lasting impressions. You know, which I... I I talk a lot about if they're on their deathbed, they're not going to talk about the one they'll lost they had this year or the one they'll win they had that year. They're just not going to talk about those details. They'll, they'll talk about the people that they were around. They'll talk about the coach that they might have had. They'll talk about the two, you know, the two roommates that they had. And I think that that's the most special thing about college soccer, to be honest. Now that I've gone through it as a player and now coach, um, so I think that we're trying to promote that through our program. And because what I believe is that if we do that and we teach, you know, really good football um we're gonna have a hell of a program yeah yeah well said so oftentimes i feel like this is a great question to ask someone 
that has been been at a at a location about the amount of time that you've been there at UIW, right? So, biggest uh, because you are a fresh set of eyes, right? Biggest misconception about UIW. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I think that um, I think the on the optics, like right up front, obviously, you know, University of the Incarnate Word is, is a Catholic school. So I think that sometimes, you know, um, without extra information, I think a lot of people can assume a lot of things about what that would mean. And I think that the more they get to, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I am a little sick. I am sorry about that. Yeah, you um, and I both, we're, but yeah. I'm battling the crud too, man. Yeah. yeah. So um, I understand. You got a kid at daycare is going to bring everything home. Mm, with oh, yeah. Yeah, I, rem I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. so, but I think that what what, um, what I'll finish that kind of like line of where I was going is more to say that I think that um, UIW has probably been the most inclusive place that I've ever been a part of in terms of, a, of an employee or as a student athlete or whatever. Mm. In terms of someone that really promotes um, like who you are, we want you at our school, which has been like – Potentially, even if I go down my own sort of like thought process when I was coming into UIW, is like, I wonder how I'm going to be at this place. Am I going to be comfortable? Is my family going to be comfortable? Right, right. I don't know. Um, so I, think, I think a lot of people would probably fairly think, okay, UIW, Catholic school, we have already two or three things that we think about what that might be. And I think... Um, as soon as people walk through the door, walk on campus, meet the president, meet the staff, meet the admin, meet the players, and they start to go, you know what, man, I, I can be myself here. It doesn't matter who I am. I can be really, really comfortable with, with who I am. So I think that that's been um, potentially a misconception because potentially I had that misconception initially. Um, but I think even through my, literally through my interview process um, and the first few times I spoke to staff members here, I, I knew that right away. I was like, oh, this is this is a really comfortable place for everybody, which is really cool. Good deal. That's awesome. So, you know, previously when you were at Eastern Illinois, you were you competed there in the, uh, the OVC Ohio Valley Conference. Yeah. Thoughts on when you do a kind of comparison there, right? So, year one Southland Conference versus the uh, Ohio Valley. What uh, what are those maybe key comparisons, contrasting styles? What are the key takeaways there? Uh, I think, yeah, I think level-wise, I think it's it's very similar. I think that in terms of, you know, coming from two really strong conferences, number one, where I think the depth of talent is very close to each other. So I think that, you know, if you look at the OVC the last, you know, five years that I was there and you look at the Southland the last five years too, um, you will basically have one person at the top that's been doing really, really well. I think you could say that about, you know, SIUE was doing really well while I was there. And, you know, Derek ran a great program and, you know, won three championships in a row. And everybody else underneath is fighting for everybody else and we're chopping and changing. Um, you know, I had my experience there in terms of getting in the playoffs and things like that, finishing third, finishing eighth, one win away from third, one win away from eighth. You know, that was my experience at the OVC. It's the same thing here at the Southland. You've got Lamar, who have obviously traditionally been great within the Southland. Uh, Nathan's taken over, continued that success. Right been great yeah. and they've had a great they've had a great pair of seasons including yeah, I mean, this past year yeah i don't argue that it's just it's undeniable what they're doing there and i think that you know they're the they're the standard that i want to reach at uiw mm -hmm. i was very i said this in a super complimentary way i want to catch lamar and then go past what they're doing it's what we're, what we're all yeah. trying to do right? so it's, it's not that's no secret and i think that then you look at from second underneath 
down to um, you know where we finished in eighth, and, and it was one result changes the whole table. Um, right. So in yeah. terms of you know the pressure cooker that both of those conferences are, I feel very at home in that. To be honest, so it's very 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 similar. Um, but I think that the standard of play, you know, there's lots of cool different um, people are playing different formations. People have got different you know value systems on how to play the game, how to coach the game. We've got a lot of cool characters in both conferences, you know, the coaches that are in them, really fun to be on the sideline with. Um, so, yeah, like, and I will say this, overall, though, all the coaches in both of those levels, pretty humble, you know, pretty, you know, awesome to talk to on the sideline. We're all kind of, you know, in it together, so to speak, even though we're all trying to, you know, take each other's heads off the weekend. Right. So just, you know, just a good set of people that are running, you know, good programs, good honest programs and stuff. So it's been, it's fairly comparable, to be honest. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Mm transition awesome good deal so you know previously i asked about maybe the biggest misconception about uiw but this one's going to expand a little bit on that maybe biggest surprise and and it could be the same right but not only uiw but maybe even like san antonio as a whole right maybe biggest surprise coming in you reflect on you look at year one san antonio community and and as well as uiw thoughts on that yeah i feel um Potentially, because you know Charleston, Illinois, where I was for for ten years, was is a small community, and um, you know me and my wife were joking literally last night um, that you know if you if you walked into Walmart, you're going to meet someone you know, you're going to bump into somebody, and this you got this, we got really used to kind of like we had our people, we had our hooks within within the uh, within the community because we do a lot of we did a lot of volunteer work, coached a lot within the youth in town. Uh, the program was volunteering an exceptional amount within the community, which is what our target is here at UIW too. So I thought that maybe, you know, big city, people tell me that San Antonio is like the fifth or sixth biggest city, I think in the US, which really actually shocked me that it's, it's so big. So I thought, oh, man, that might be a really tough task to really feel at home in terms of small community, things like that. Um, so the bit that would be my biggest surprise is the fact that, you know, San Antonio has um, come to be feel like home pretty quickly, you know, very quickly. Um, I think that's just, I don't know, I think it speaks to maybe the, the value systems within the community here. I think that they're um, super, you know, uh, what's the right way to say this? Just pretty wholesome, um, understand values in terms of just sort of getting along with each other and, and things like that. And I think that, I didn't expect that coming into a big city. I'm from a big city. My wife's from Miami. So we're like, you know, we've, we're coming from, I just spent a week back home actually. And I said to my mom, I'm never moving back here. Um, <laughs> you know, just, you know, so sitting in traffic, you know, everyone's angry at each other. It's raining all day. I'm like, you know, where's, uh, where's, where's home again? Birmingham in England. Birmingham. Okay. Yeah. yeah what, for some reason I thought I was, I wanted, I was thinking Birmingham, but I wasn't, I wasn't hundred percent sure. So. Yeah. But it's just one of those where like, we're used to cities where you just sort of like, it's just, not, there's no community there at all. You know, you just sort of like, you got your own little, you know, circles and stuff, but, but in San, so San Antonio maybe came in with maybe same expectations a lot. I right, went back to kind of our city life. Um, and, and it's not really been that at all. I think that the community of UIW, um, not necessarily, um, exposed too much to the, the soccer community, Within San Antonio, just yet, I got my hooks into it, you know, with the clubs and the youth projects and mm -hmm. things like that. But you know, we got thrown in. I'm going to get thrown into that pretty quickly here in the spring. Kiki's already done a great job with that with the men's side over here. So we're trying to piggyback that and kind of just sort of ride his coattails a little bit in terms of those details. But so far, it's been very similar um, in that respect of what the, the small town living was like in Charleston. So. 
that surprised me. It's a good surprise because maybe that was something that I thought I was going to really miss in Charleston, and I do. Um, but San Antonio so far has done a, done a good job, and UIW has done a good job of making me think that we can we can kind of replicate that here. I think. Yeah, yeah. I was gone for two years. You know, I was here previously. Left in 2019 to coach, coach in a different part of the state, and then came back in 21. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, we could tell my wife and I. We could tell how much how much had changed, how much growth had happened. And yeah, I think last stats we had checked on San Antonio was I think currently the seventh largest, and I think they were projected yeah. to pass. Projected to pass, I think Philly, Philadelphia. I think as yeah. I want to say, Philadelphia as the numbers as the sixth largest. I think okay. by by next year. I think <clears throat> by maybe end of next year, maybe. So crazy stuff. Yeah. Crazy stuff. So yeah, but no, but again, you know, you're in less than a year, just under a year. Also, you know, you've you've made yourself available to us, so we appreciate your accessibility and coming on here as well on the cool. podcast, and because that's part of what we want is to be able to highlight the programs, highlight you know the college coaches tell tell some of those stories in terms of not just the coach but the program and you know the bloodline of those programs right the players so thank you for being here um so stay you know we're going to kind of pivot here a little coach here now your thoughts is we've talked a little bit about uiw we've talked about even even previously your time at eiu and so you've been coaching at you've seen different conferences different schools different parts of the country um, but when we factor in all the moving parts right now, right, whether it's NIL, whether it's the uh, everyone's favorite, right, the portal, the transfer portal, um, what are your thoughts right now on the state of of the college game, particularly the women's soccer game? Um, yeah, I mean, generally, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly positive about it. About the, like you talk about the, the statement of the state of the guy, of the game. I'm fairly positive about it, but I think that just like anything in sport, it's 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 always going to be moving a direction, and like you know, is that direction positive or negative? I think you can always find the negative swing on it. In my opinion, you can you can I, I can find the negative swing right now where the college game is, but I'd rather try and pitch it in a positive light. You know, I think that right. um, for a long time, potentially as as, as college coaches, we we always wish to. Um, put the limelight on our sport and put the limelight on the on the women's game in particular because it's probably been in in a position where it's you know it's it's been in you know it's been over there in the corner you know compared to some other sports that we we have here in the United States and you know I think that you know the the, the state of say let's say NIL for example like mm. we're in a position where the the universities are able to really push their student athletes that women soccer players into the limelight and be like hey look at how awesome this this person is how, how, how this kid is and how she approaches this thing so that's so positive that they can do that and the flip side of that would be the fact that like hey there is a it might be night and day in terms of like what the top end division one college programs can do for a player and what maybe the bottom end can do or even the mid-majors can do for that same athlete so it's sort of like is the gap that's widening financially um Positive for the game, negative for the game. I think we're going to find out. I, I don't know whether the, I can't say that it's going to be. You know, you, you look at that like people want to make a comparison to the pro game and be like, well, look at the Man Cities of the world, and then look at like Luton Town who are in the Premier League. Like, how, how do these two compete with each other for the same players? And they don't really. And and it goes one direction as just the separation kind of gets bigger and bigger. But I think that that's just you know, for me, I'm an ultimate competitor. So it's the case of one of those things where like. 
that, that's the part of competition, isn't it? Like that's the part. That's just part of it. Like that the schools have to find a way to improve things for their athletes, and I think that um, you know, uh, good for the ones that can, and the ones that can't have to find solutions. And I think that's that's we're at that part of like in college, <coughs> in, in college sports. That's where we're at. What I love about our sport is the fact that I'm a true believer that when it comes to like, hey, we're going to cross the white line and play a game of football. There's every chance that we can still go out there and beat you. Every chance. That's what I love. That's what we all love about the game, right? So I think for me, like the fact that the drive for me to to, to coach in this sport in particular, because I can talk a little bit about like why I'd rather, you know, why I've, I moved from the men's side to the women's side when I was at Eastern. That's why originally I was on the men's side with Kiki and right. moved to the ladies' side. And I think that my I've been asked the question, do you want to go back? I'm like, there's, there's no way. Like this is this is where I feel like my my. Uh, this is where my skills really help the game and, and, and help mm. myself with the game, to be honest. And I think that um, the state of the game is, is it's in a position where I'm like, it's the most competitive it's ever been. You want to talk about the portal. It's super difficult to try and get the players you want to get. You know, it just is like, you want to go get these players to bet your program. And these players also want to go get the best possible deal, scholarship, playing time. Mm. City. There's so many different dynamics to recruiting that they all want to go do. So it's a fun thing to do. I grew up playing a, uh, a computer game called Football Manager. Uh, which right. Manager. Yeah. I love. Yeah. I mean, that's how I grew up, and it was just you just like man. I actually grew up, and, and now I'm a, now I'm a somewhat of an adult. I get to do that in real life, so to speak. I mean, I, I like the somewhat right emphasis on somewhat. Right. <laughs> I love it. So yeah. for me, in terms of the way the game is going, you know, I think that. Um, Coaching credentials are getting more and more um, to the forefront. You know, the way style of play is coming to more for the forefront of college um, athletics. And, you know, I think for me that the standards that we have to uphold um, in terms of, well, like I said, the style of play, the culture of the program, the medical needs of the kids, the, the loads that we're putting on the kids, the mental health side of things, because it's becoming more and more of an elite level by the week it feels like it means that we have to be um more and more of an elite coach staff university every single week and I, I, that's what i that's why i came to the us and that's why i wanted to coach this is exactly what i wanted so i think I, i'd be i don't want people i don't want to complain about it because this is what i asked for to be honest you know but i think that um that there, there are some things sort of looming in the corners of of any college athletics sport not just women's soccer that i think that like you could argue that you're sort of like, we'll see how this goes. You know, the NIL stuff is like the obvious one. The transfer portal is another one, but um, it feels a little bit like the Wild West, but it's, you know, it sounds like, you know, there's some regulatory things coming in. Um, we'll see how it affects, but I think for me, um, we're, I'm just happy to compete. So we'll just leave yeah. it at that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think about what you mentioned there as far as, because I was very much... My thought, you know, I go back to when I first started coaching, I was I was on the men's side as well, on the boys' side. And I was one of those coaches that was first saying, there's you couldn't pay me enough. There's no way I want to coach on the women's side. No way I want to coach on the girls' side, right? And then uh, about three years in, all of that changed. The next thing you know, um, I'm at the, at the college level, Air Force Academy, right? So very different. And uh, it was one of the best blessings that could have ever happened. I've as luck would have it, I've just, I've found myself on the women's side ever since then. Right. So, um, and of course having two daughters kind of played a role in that as well. Um, but yeah, I've, uh, I think it's, I think it's great. And I can understand where you're coming from on that front. 
And part of the reason why I ask that too is because, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, we recently saw, you know, we had the the women's and men's college cups, right? Different locations uh, for Division One soccer. And, you know, yesterday I'm looking at uh, the the NCAA volleyball women's final, right? Um, it's it's on it's on ABC. It's being showcased. Big event, Texas and Nebraska. And I'm just kind of thinking to myself, it's like, why strategically, why can't it be, why, why can't our sport for division one women's in particular, right. Be better showcased maybe, and no offense to these other, you know, these other channels, but it's buried on ESPNU at not ideal at not an ideal time, or it's on, or you can only find it on ESPN plus. And then sometimes even when you find it on ESPN plus, they're not always, you know, ideal, you know, broadcasts. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I found myself asking that yesterday. It's like, they're doing it the right way for this particular women's sport, but why can't women's soccer be showcased like that as well? Yeah. I think that it's an interesting thought, right? Cause you think that like, you know, it's, I I go two ways with with that thought process is the case of like, well, for example, like when you look at the, the, uh, the national title game for us, you know, I don't know if I'm mistaken, but I think there was empty seats in in, in, mm-hmm. in the stadium. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of like, look, if we want to promote our sport, then we have to kind of show up. We have to get, we have to put people in those seats, and you, either that's because we have to make it a more accessible location. But you know, it kind of was. You know, it's not exactly excessively priced. Like we can go. Um, so I think that like you, you got to think about that. It's just like, hey, we all want to talk about, hey, put our sport like it's on ABC and put it on. Uh, you know, front and center on, on, on every sports channel, which I think they should be doing. Um, but I think at the same time, like, you know, broadcasters, they, they follow the money, right? So they don't want to put a game on right. with, with empty seats. I don't know whether there was an empty seat for the volleyball game, right? Um, so I, that, that, that's a thought process. But at the same time, I think that for me, I think the way that European soccer is going on the women's side now, if you invest in it, it will massively improve. Um, yeah. that's 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 like that's undeniable on what they what the european sort of matrix of, of college of not college um of professional um soccer is happening it's just it's you know uh when i was at home i think it was chelsea and arsenal had fifty nine thousand people in the stadium which was just right. amazing amazing yeah. if you said to me five years ago that, that there was going to be five thousand people at that game i'd have been like should maybe i guess mm-hmm. so you know your sort of thing is that there's got to be some sort of you know, coalition between the broadcasters and the NCAA, and then, but also I think that you know, the way the college coaches approach that topic, the way the players approach that topic, the way that clubs approach that topic, correct, really, really important. You know, I think that like sometimes what I would say is I don't, I don't feel like potentially in the United States, all those people are all on the same page all the time. You know, which is, right. you know, we're such a big country over here, aren't we? So it's it's so difficult to get everybody on that same page, but. I think that, that there's, you know, we've got different organizations, even if you talk about between ECNL and GA, and like, you know, they're com- competing constantly. Like, when it comes to that title game, like we're talking about, everybody swarm on this one location and, and make sure that this is just a phenomenal scenario. Um, so I think that, you know, I agree. When you look at that volleyball game, what a great thing for volleyball, what a great thing for NCAA sports, and we're just jealous of it, right? So, we either have to make it happen or we have to complain about it. And, you know, I think it's probably maybe a little bit of both, but I think that, uh, yeah. the yeah. product is there. I mean, look at that, you know, look at the 
some of the, the things that were happening when he got to like the you know even just the the Sweet Sixteen. Some of the some of the football that was being played was just Those matches were unbelievable. Yeah, so good, so good. And he's sort of like, man, how is this not like? It's almost like maybe nationally, maybe not an appreciation to what they're actually watching potentially. <laughs> Um, maybe not an appreciation to like what those young ladies have sacrificed and what the coaches staff have sacrificed over the three. You know, sometimes that's a big appeal to why people want to watch a game because they're like, man, these kids have been at it doing X, Y, and Z for a long time. Like, let's go see what the product is. And sometimes that's a little bit under the radar too. And I think sometimes that's the appeal of, you know, you know, the reason why you all want to tune in to watch the Champions League finals because we've watched, man, they've been it's a fifty game season. Let's just see the two best players, two best teams, hash it out and we've followed the story and I think with, you know, mm -hmm. following the story, like you said, on ESPN plus to then, you know, it's under the radar for, unless, unless it's us, we all know about it, but like outside of our industry, not many people are really, yeah. know about yeah. it. So, you know, I don't know how, yeah. I don't know how to fix that. I'm pointing out problems with no solutions, but no, no, you're right. I mean, you're hitting on a lot of stuff. You mentioned club. And so we go back to, you know, the recent women's college cup, right? Cary, North Carolina. Yeah. And you have, simultaneously going on over the course of that weekend what doesn't help it's like come on it's like we're not helping ourselves you have two of the big um you know two of the big organizations in club soccer are simultaneously having showcases on opposite ends of the country right <laughs> nowhere near north carolina mind you yep. um and that just those kind of things don't help right those things don't kind of help showcase you know and is there anything that says that they have to no, but is it good business? Is it smart business? You can also say no, right? Um, whereas, if I'm not mistaken, on the volleyball side, I think they, I think they center their. I forget the organization. I don't know if it's American Volleyball Coaches Association. I forget what it is, but the the coaching organization they kind of center their, you know, their their convention around that event right around the women the women's uh semi-final national championship for volleyball so that that is what happens when it's done strategically in a smart way so yeah so i mean it's spot on so many so many little things that it involves certain people maybe just communicating maybe just hearing each other out you know so we might be able yeah. to simplify it but yeah i think with the volleyball piece actually you know i have a i have a, a, a friend who's a, a NCAA volleyball coach and you sort of follow her social media over the last, you know, two weeks. It's as if she's been at the vo a volleyball festival the last two weeks because of what you're talking about between her being able to recruit, go to a showcase, go to the convention and go to the final four all within, you know, wherever she is. You know, she was, you know, you think that something like that could be reproduced here, which would be just be able to attract the masses. Like you said, if, you know, if ETNLGA said, hey, we're just going to do showcases in North Carolina and everybody can just fill the stadium and make it a phenomenal atmosphere. I mean, right. you'll, you'll be trying to find a professional sports stadium to try and actually get that game in rather than, you know, wherever it was. So it was like, you know, it's, um, yeah, I don't know what the, the, the immediate conversation needs to be. You, you would hope that that's where our game, we would like our game to go that way though, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think the I think having the conversation period is is the start, right? Is the start, right? By those collective decision makers. So yeah. So now we transition here, Coach. Yep. Tell us a little bit more. Let's get back to UIW here. We start talking. Tell us a little bit what you can share with us. Maybe what has you excited? 
where you're at in terms of your recruiting process as far as incoming recruiting class has you excited going into next year what are your what can you share with us on that front yeah i think recruiting i'm still in the you know sort of deep end of it trying to like make sure that we get the last couple kids into to to really um you know help do what we want to do for 20 the 24 and 25 classes you know we've got commitments for 24s and 25s which is great um you know, I think that we, we still, our priority is obviously to fill the last couple spots of the 24 class. Um, we're actively looking everywhere for it. So the nice thing is you've got Texas high school soccer starting soon. You know, the, the, the likelihood of a 24 um, being available and having an impact for us in the fall, as much as that might be unlikely, Last year, when I came in January, I started throwing myself out into these high school games, and guess what? I picked up a kid that started fifty percent of my games because of it. And um, nice, wow. so it can happen. So I'm, I'm I'm excited for the Texas high school things to start going. Um, you know, obviously, I, I just did a trip back home where we did some show, there were some showcases in England that was sort of well attended. So we 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 um, were able to kind of pick up some uh, at least some leads on some talent for the twenty four class. So we're you know. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be patient. You know, I really want to make sure I get my recruit. Uh, we're defined by results, but those results are defined by the kids that we bring in ultimately. So we have yeah. to make sure that what we're doing is um, appropriate for the team. In the start of play, um, you know, I have a big philosophy. Oh, some technical difficulties there with Coach Plant, it looks like. Uh, Coach, I'm not sure if you can hear me. But uh, in the meantime, we'll, uh, we'll, continue, uh, we'll, we'll continue discussing while Coach Plant re- rejoins us. Uh, looks like he might have frozen on us there a little bit. See if we can uh, get him back. But, uh, but, yeah, he's talking about, you know, his recruiting class for those of you. In case you didn't catch that the first time, he's talking about his, his 2024s. Uh, they are still actively recruiting, and they are looking for a few. One of the things that I'm very excited to uh, to hear about is, in particular, that he he did have the uh, the opportunity. You know, got here back in January, was able to get immersed into the immersed into the uh, the high school soccer scene here as we work to get him back right now. Apologies for this. And I think we got him, but he uh, he did have the opportunity to uh, did have the opportunity to uh, to attend Texas high school soccer uh, game matches this past spring. And coach, there you are. Can you hear us? I can. I don't. Sorry, I don't know what that was. But no, it was a weird bug. Every now and then, just the random little you know the technology doesn't doesn't work. But uh, so you were saying you were able to still have some twenty twenty fours. I was just recapping what you had just shared yeah. with with the audience. Um, still actively looking for some 2024s. You did have the opportunity to attend high school games last uh, last spring. We're able to get a, a, a sounds like a great recruit out of it, and then you were that's kind of where we lost you. Yeah, no. So just going down that kind of avenue, like that's kind of what I'm planning to do again in, in the spring is to to wrap up the 24 class. You know, I did go, into, just went home, saw some showcases in, in England as well. So there's the pool that we have to, to pull from is a good, healthy one right now. So it's just a matter of doing the recruitment thing, having conversations, you know, learning about kids, making sure that um, for me, when it comes to recruitment, the, the most important thing is like their, their line of thinking 
the line of ambition is 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 where mine and the staff has to be and where the programs is otherwise personally if you want to if you want to get on my soapbox about the the portal i think the main reason that there's kids in that portal is us i think a lot of people blame the kids a lot of people blame the the club coaches i think we have to take our responsibility there too in terms of like you know these kids are coming to programs and um they're getting out of programs potentially some of them because you're sort of like what i thought i was coming into it's not when i get there and i think for me we do a hell of a lot of um just focusing on is this kid thinking the same way as us yes they have to be talented yes they have to be athletic but we have to have the same sort of mentality on the way that we approach things and um Mm -hmm. so that's what we'll be doing over the next sort of you know four or five months as we wrap up 24 making sure that those kids are doing that so whether we find them in Texas high school, ECNL events that we're going to, or, you know, the internationals we we, I, I was taught from a very early part of my college career was that you got to turn over every rock. So that's something that we're doing. We're turning over every rock. Right. There's, there's, there'll be someone that you're trying to get will be under it eventually. So we're just sort of relentlessly chasing, to be honest. So we, we'll get there though. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I love hearing that. As someone that was uh, doing uh, that was a recruiting coordinator at a service academy, fully understand that, fully believe, no no rock unturned, and you'd be amazed where you end up finding the gems. I I, I can testify to that, um, and I'm very happy, very excited to hear you say about <clears throat> making it a point to attend, you know, Texas high school soccer matches, and from what you can share, based between what you've seen, maybe what you've heard the piece that you've seen through maybe even through social media, but what, um, what's your takeaway on the Texas high school soccer scene? Yeah, I think, um, like I said, I only had a small glimpse into it really. Cause obviously being up in Illinois, it was, right. you know, we, we're normally, if we're focusing on Texas kids, the club, the club scene really exclusively, not really a chance to dive into the high school stuff. So for me, Dallas is down there. Sorry, could you mm-hmm. drop that again? Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. We just lost you there for a second. You're good. I just think that for us, that we're for me, and like I should be able to build this team out of Texas, no problem. Like there's there's so much talent here, and I think that you know um, whether what I, I like what I appreciate about the players here is that they they tend um, play a lot of high school and club simultaneously. Um, in Illinois, there's a, there's not, there wasn't as much as that. There was a lot of like kids, so many kids that just, just ditched their high school soccer. And I think there's still a lot of pride in, um, a lot of pride in some of the, the, the club, you know, the top club kids who are still playing, you know, high level, um, you know, wrestle. I went to a great game. It was Round Rock versus Dripping Springs. I went to that game in the spring mm. and there were, I've been like 71 commits on that field at that time. That's where I actually found the kid that ended up coming here as well, Alex Knutson. So it's sort of like, you just, I just started throwing myself out into these games. I just pulled a thread and let me just, the best way to learn who, who's start attending the games, attending the playoff games, seeing who's beating who and just follow the chain up. And, you know, I thought that it was just, um, there's a lot of pride in the high schools of uh, kids wanting to still play and win for their high school, which I, I, I wouldn't have a lot of experience of that in Illinois, to be honest. I thought that there was a little bit of that, but, Way more of it here. I thought that it gave me a lot of uh, excitement. That we can, we you know, high school is just another avenue for me to look at more talent, which I thought was yeah. for me another reason. And I was told that about Texas before I got here that it was like this. So 
you know, I, I really appreciate it. But I'm still learning in terms of like who's who and who should follow in and gaining connections with high school coaches, which I think is really important. So yeah, we're trying yeah. to trying to expand the um, that a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm ha- very excited, happy to hear you say that. And yeah, we do uh, we do high school sports in Texas a little differently, for sure, for sure. So um, yeah. now, now what can you share? As we start wrapping up here, Coach, with our first segment, tell us a little bit. You did mention it briefly, but what can you share with us in terms of future showcases, tournament events that uh, you will be attending in the upcoming future? What can you share with us? Where are some of the places where maybe athletes might be able to find you? Um, so yeah, uh, the next one, so we're in a dead period right now. So as soon as the dead right. period is over, um, the, there's the ECNL Florida showcase in uh, Lakewood Ranch, which is kind of Tampa area. So we'll mm-hmm. be attending that. Um, and then there's the ECNL showcase in, is up in Dallas. So the ECNL event up there is going to be a really good one, I think. Um, so we'll be attending the ECNL one in Dallas. And then in March, um, we'll see. March is um, there's uh, IMG Champions League. That one's out there in, in uh, Bradenton. That I went to yeah. there last year, and that was a good one. Um, so those are probably the ones, like in the immediate future, that we you know they're on the calendar. We're going. Um, but on top of that, we're going to fill in our weekdays and weekends with you know the high school scene. And then you know when uh, when the club gets back going, we'll fill our weekends going out and doing that. And then obviously in between those, you've got um each club has their own kind of college days that we attend you know we're, we're trying to make sure that we go to all the college id camps that they that they put on for us and um i think that are a little bit more intimate they get to know us a little bit more you know and i think um nothing super confirmed right now just lots of conversations with the local clubs but like you know i think it's important that they start to hear our voice see us coach so like you know attending training sessions and running training sessions coming onto our campus and things like that so um you know we're, we're trying to do it all to be honest i think that that's the most important thing everybody knows that our, um if you sort of ignore a level you're also ignoring some pretty talented kids which we're not trying to do so we want to make sure that um people start to see us on sidelines and they know who, who we are and what we stand for so yeah i think that's the best way for us to kind of really push our program so plus we love it you know yeah Great stuff. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a very busy spring for you all for sure. So glad to hear that. And uh, by all yeah. means, any any questions you have as well as on the high school front, don't uh, don't hesitate to uh, to ask and reach reach out to us. We'd uh, sure, yeah, love yeah. to help you support. Yeah, yeah I'd love for, to sure. Take you for sure. For sure. So as we start to transition here, Coach, tell you real quick, we're gonna tell everybody about our friends. <clears throat> excuse me, our good friends at Gippers. So Gippers, the way that schools, athletic departments, ads, and coaches create world class marketing content. Join over 3,000 coaches and ADs and use Gipper to create high-quality visual branded graphics for your program. The best part, anyone can do it in seconds on any device without needing any design experience whatsoever. In the event you do have significant design experience here, this is also specifically designed for what they call the power user. So you can use it uh, with great with great ease, and you can uh, definitely have have fun creating multiple uh, multiple uh, graphics. Uh, for social media, for your program, or, you know, even if you're with your director of coaching on the club side as well. So very, very useful. Um, listeners, just for being a listener of the 50-50 podcast, you can receive 10% off any first-time Gipper purchase. Again, that's 10% off any first-time Gipper purchase. Simply visit gipper.com slash partner slash 5050 to learn more. Again, that's gipper.com slash partner slash 5050. 
and our other great partners at Global Scarves. Global Scarves is a top provider of custom-knitted scarves, beanies, and other fan merchandise in the U.S. All merch is fully is fully custom with free design services and free shipping on all orders. Again, that's the key part with them, free shipping on all orders. They do phenomenal work. They do work for the podcast as well. Had them recently on the podcast while we were down at the Tasco Texas High School Soccer Coaches Convention. Absolutely love them. They're very committed to definitely growing the game here in uh, here in Texas. So, so even if you're whether you're a college coach, high school coach, club coach, maybe you're part of a supporters group and you want to create your own, they're the way to go. Again, Global Scarves. You can contact them at info@globalscarves.com to get any free designs or quotes built out for your school, club, or organization. Again, you can contact them info@globalscarves.com. Mention the podcast or use the code hashtag fifty fifty pod and they'll be sure to take care of you. So, all right, coach, it is the moment of truth. Our counterattack segment, we get to have some fun with you, ask you some random off-the-wall questions. You ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. All right, first one out of the gate. Cats or dogs? Oh, dogs, for sure. Yeah, I've only ever had dogs. Nice, awesome. You have a current dog right now? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when I met my when I met my wife, I was number three into added into that relationship. She had a rescue when I met her in college. Oh, nice. So I was uh, obviously I had to pass the not only she had to like me, but the dog did too. So yeah. But I grew up with that. My dad is a retired police officer. He was a canine officer. My brother nice. is a current canine officer. So um, yeah, I've had nothing but big old dobermans and german shepherds around me my whole life so yeah we're, we're, we're dog people my wife included right i was get, i was about to ask what do they what kind of uh breeds do they use so that's what it is yeah shepherds, yeah, shepherds yeah german shepherds and dogs my dad my dad whatever reason he just was as attached to dobermans even from a sort of a young man until now and then um when he became a canine officer they used a lot more shepherds and things like that and then uh my brother uses all sorts because he's a military canine officer as well so it's kind oh, of right. like they use you know Belgian Malinois, they use right. um, they use uh, spaniels, you know, things like that. So, um, but both love it. So, like, yeah, I have I have no choice in the matter. It's it's mm -hmm. dogs all the time. Yeah, small small fact here is, and I don't know if this is still the case, but so the um, the Department of Defense, right uh, here in, here in San Antonio. Their, yeah. their DTS, their dog training school. Did you know that that's here in San Antonio? Did you I, know that? So my brother told me because he yeah. was he's now really, really wants to get involved. And he was like, if you ever meet anyone that knows how to get me in there, let me know and he'll come straight over. Because um, he actually just got he actually just got located to Cyprus in as our Air Force Base in Akwateri out there in Cyprus. So he's just over there for three years. But gotcha. that's kind of like their best dog section, I believe. Mm. He's, yeah. you know, he's to, he told me that San Antonio has a really, really good one, and he, he's, he's adamant he's trying to find. He, he was actually worked with the American military uh, last year um, in Diego Garcia, and I think he's mm -hmm. trying to pull some uh, strings to come over this way and and obviously visit me, I suppose. But then I think he'd rather go hang out with the dogs too. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Back when I was active duty, I think. At the time, I don't know if it still is, but I think it was either I think the the largest either the largest school or largest producer of of training dogs, and then and then to this day, I know they still have here in San Antonio, they have the uh, the foster you know the foster pup program right with families. Right. So with families in the local area, they essentially let them kind of foster raise the the puppies up until I think about right around I don't know a year eighteen months 
and then they come back for them and transfer them over to the, and then they begin their training at the, uh, the dog training cool. school. So it's, it's pretty phenomenal. So that, that's cool. Yeah. It's very cool. Those are some of the things that you'll only see in San Antonio, right? As, as yeah. military city, USA. So yeah, right. pretty cool. Cool stuff. All right. Next one, Lake or ocean. Ooh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little worried about what's in, in the ocean to be honest. So I think I like a uh, lake is my preference. Mm-hmm. I, I like to swim. I do not like to swim in the ocean. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, there's just something about it. Just I, I went water skiing one time in the ocean and then the boat, you fall and then the boat leaves you and you're like, I don't like this at all. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I, I'd probably say lake for sure. I've, um, I've done, I've done open water triathlons before, but in the lake. Right. I'm not doing that in the ocean. No, thanks. Yeah. I'm a, I think I'm a lake and mountains guy myself. I just, yeah. I'm a little worried by just the fact that we know more about space than what's beneath the ocean i think should i don't think people think about that right so yeah so i'm with you when, when i think about that and i ain't going in there <laughs> exactly all right next one uh var yes or no var var whatever you want to call it yes or no uh man i'm gonna say yes keep it yeah um, you know i think we're quick to criticize it i can't remember i think it's howard webb in the premier league that's running things over there he mentioned the other day that up to 50 goals have been written off correctly. I think, I, I don't know if it was this season or this season or last season. Mm-hmm. But for me, if, if, if 50 goals correctly have been, you know, either given or not given, I guess, that's significant. It, right. The positive. As much as like we're all complaining about this thing and that thing, I think it's more of like maybe the application of it, yeah. um, which, you know, obviously that obviously needs refining, doesn't it? Like there's, there's a lot of, um, growth needed there, but um, yeah, I, I say keep it. I think you'd asked me before it came in. I, I'd have been definitely of the of the thought like leave it alone. You know, I you know some of the mistakes that happen in that game. Um, that's a part of it. It's kind of part of the the the, the side of football that we kind of like, so to speak. But mm-hmm. um, you know, on the competitive side of things, I don't think you can complain when a goal is given or not given correctly. That's you know we we have to say that well that is a part of the competitiveness that we want right. to see we want to see who the true winner is who's the best team who's not the best but um yeah i think you know it is a frustrating part of the game at the moment so i don't, I don't know what we need to do to to fix it but i'm I'm, I'm okay keeping it gotcha okay next one book you are currently reading or recently read um i've currently i started rereading the alchemist which is kind of one of my favorite books but then mm. um then uh, empire of the sun and moon is something Ooh. that I'm currently reading. Yeah, um, that's a very good, yeah, very yeah, good. Yeah, I, I think, like, you know, if you listen to enough, you know, people who are interviews and get asked that sort of question, that book seems to keep coming up. So I was, like, just intrigued by it, and then I read mm-hmm. what it was about, and I was like, well, that's a part of sort of American history that really yeah. intrigued me. Yeah. Uh, it's a phenomenal, book. phenomenal story, phenomenal book. Yeah, And I just think, like, a part of the American history that, like, for me, look, I'll say this, in the UK, we don't go through a lot of American history, to be honest. So sort of like America's always intrigued me in the, in the history and kind of the push out West and things like that. And um, this this sort of like the lens that that book looks through American history. And obviously right. I had almost zero thought, you know, thought process on what that would have been like. So it's pretty eye opening mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. Right. So uh, yeah. other than that, I had growing up, my dad was obsessed with the West. Like he's kind of like he's one of these guys that just loves when he came to San Antonio, he'd take him to the Alamo, he'd take him to the John Wayne Museum. He's loving it. Oh, sure. He ate that up, right? 
So, you know, as you read that book and you kind of get the different side of the story, right? I just mm-hmm. think that, um, for me, I'm just, I've put it down for a couple of weeks actually, just because things got hectic. But when I, when I go to my wife's family in Florida, um, I'm going to try and finish that book because it's just, it's one of those I couldn't put down for a, for a, for a long time. Yeah, it is. It's a fascinating story. Fascinating. You know, the other one too, um, I believe it's based on the book. I just, I can't remember now the movie that's out right now with, I'm trying to blank on the name with the Leonardo DiCaprio. You know what I'm talking about? Um, the moons. Oh my God. I'm drawing. Oh, yeah. I've seen, no, I don't know the name of it, but I think I've, I've seen at least advertised and it was one of those. I, won- yeah. I, wondered, I wondered if it was something uh, of a similar story. I, I think, yeah, it's the, uh, the different tribe but i think it's i I, there's definitely some definitely some ties there for sure so um but yeah so all right next one professional coach uh maybe you admire or you kind of sort of pattern yourself after uh man that's a dangerous question isn't it (laughs) start to get inside the ego of, of coaches huh right right um i think that someone that um the obvious answer right now and honestly i'm gonna blame dirk a little bit ari you guy again because he is obsessed with barcelona that boy so obviously the 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 fun answer is obviously you know put guardiola and what he's achieved and how he's achieved it i think for me what i resonate with is that he came in particularly when he came into the premier league everyone was like he's not going to be able to do that style of play in the premier league there's no way and he just sort of turned around and like just said well watch me and then then periodically you just watch every other team try and copy that style of play. And I think that that's, um, you know, just for me, I think someone that is, um, has a lot of solutions to every problem, but also probably the first person to kind of like come up with something a little bit forward thinking, um, whether it's a formation change or, you know, the way he was the first one to kind of, at least for me, the first one I noticed that was sort of, you know, that we all know it's probably using like inverted fullbacks or false nines and the way that he uses mm-hmm. players, right? Um, develops players. I think that's a big thing for me as well. Like I like right. to see players improve, and like I think sometimes you hear a lot from the. I don't know this for sure because I've never done it, obviously. But in the professional ranks, they sort of talk about like, well, how difficult is it to improve a professional player? You'll never teach them anything new. You're not going to teach them how to pass the ball, move, and you know, talk. And you're just managing the personality. And I'm like, I think he's proven that, and Klopp as well. I think mm-hmm. they've proven that they can improve professional right. players and whether that's using them in a different way and, and sort of make them think in a certain way. Right. And I think that, you know, even Declan Rice recently said like, since he's been to Arsenal, Mikel Arteta is literally, I literally think about the game in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the kind of coaches for me that I'm like, if um, I would like to replicate, I like to feel that I can improve a player. I like to feel like I can play a style of play that is um, attractive. You know, I think that, you know, there's a little bit of me like what people talk about our game, the college game. Well, it's it's kick it and run. It's athletic. Da, da, da. Right, like right. people say that about our level, and then there's a lot of part of me that I'm like, I would like to actually see if I can go against the grain there and win, um, which obviously I'm still trying to do. So, uh, <laughs> aren't we all? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I don't know if it's possible, but I think that for me, like I, I'm big on making sure that I, I'm a firm believer in that way of playing. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think that it's important to, to do what you believe in. And I think that um, those guys definitely do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and you talk about, and and Pep kind of seems like the all too, I don't know, the, whether it's all too easy or obvious one, right? But you mentioned Klopp as well. And I think that's why that's blossomed into such a fascinating 
rivalry, right? Amongst not just their teams, but amongst themselves, right? And how how they view the game, how they're developing players, and the charisma with that comes with them as well. Yeah. So yeah, so great stuff. I think, I think the outside of one of those, the obvious ones for me, like I think someone that just there's something about him that makes me go like I just I did read a book that has it features him a lot. Um, there's a there's a a book written in England called Winners, and um, there's a chapter on Sean Dyke when he was at Burnley, mm. and um, just in terms of like. We talk about the man management side of things. I don't know whether people look at Sean Dyke like he's this tactical genius, um, but in terms of like the principles, like some of the things that he had hanging up in the locker rooms, the way that he talks to the players, what he says to the players, he opened my eyes a lot to a few different details. For me, reading that book, I'm like, man, um, obviously he did probably well overperformed at Burnley of what he was doing with them. So I want to, I want to say, I don't know what year it was, like slid into the European competition at one point and like who the you know honestly for me knowing who Bernie were growing up like what the heck are they doing in Europe yeah um and, that and that's when you can point to coaching right that's when you can really truly point to coaching when you're yeah. when you're really max getting the absolute most out of whatever you have right I think that's that's a clear identifier whether it's either you're teaching them something new in the football field or you are saying certain things to certain people and how to tweak them at the mm. right time in the right manner I think that for me, then you start to go like, you, you have to pay attention to what he did there. And I think obviously, you know, he's thriving, you know, under the, since the, the, the points deduction at Everton, he's sort of thriving under that kind of circumstances where he's like, clearly, hey, we're the, we're the underdogs. They're out to get us. You know, he's, he's clearly thriving in that environment and getting those players to you know play good football, win good, win, win, win good uh, soccer games. So he's another one that I'll give a shout out that like for a long time, he's just done a lot of uh, good stuff. Um, at that level yeah yeah next one so this one i this one i've been asking as of late right so kind of a two-parter here so current music and podcast playlist what's kind of in in your rotation there that you can share um man so music <laughs> actually there's a um a hip-hop 2000s on itunes that i've found and i'm like just that I play when I work. I don't listen to a lot of music, to be honest, mm -hmm. um, which saddens my wife because she loves music. And, mm -hmm. but, but I have I have found that random playlist. I'm like, this is just sort of like throwing back to high school days for me. So I listen to that when I work out, when I lift. So that's that's got a lot of throwbacks on there for me. Um, but in terms of, I found uh, um, a couple of good country artists lately. Uh, now that I'm in there Texas, you, you know, yeah. In the Midwest, they love the country out there too. So every now and again, they sort of like find some good country music that I like too. But, um, but podcast, I, I'm a bit more of a podcast person. Um, you know, actually, if you want to, this is kind of something that not too many people would ever know. But like the, the UFO scenario that's happening right now, that I'm just like, I'm like so intrigued by it. Are you all um, in? You all in on that? <laughs> I'm too scared to be all in. But at the same time, I think that like you know, um, there's enough of the same three or four people that are talking actively about this sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so anywhere they go, I sort of just listen to them, just want to listen to kind of what they say and what they talk about. So anytime I can find a podcast with those guys on it, but um, yeah, it's th those, um, those are probably the two answers. Yeah. There you go. All right. Good. Yeah. This, this might shock you as well, but I'm not, I'm not that much. It drives my daughters nuts, but um, I'm not much of a music guy. You know, I do have my stuff that I like to listen to, but I'm just I'm overwhelmingly shocker, but I'm definitely much more of a podcast guy. Have yeah. have been have been 
way back since before podcasts were a thing when podcasts were were really just kind of getting off the ground right so yeah. um, just just a great source of so much different information right so great um, yeah. so yeah so all right <clears throat> next one greatest sports movie um that's that's i've actually i heard you ask Dirk this one i was like man i gotta think about that because i was actually i haven't teased him about it but i thought his answer was just like what are you, what are you saying he didn't even answer it with a sports movie that guy <laughs> he's gonna come you hey think carefully because he's gonna come back at you yeah he will i know right. <laughs> but <clears throat> honestly um Excuse me. there is a there is a disney movie called mcfarlane usa which mm. As yeah. soon as I, as soon as I uh, like uh, watched that movie, I was like, "Man, that is a heck of a of a sports movie." If I want to be inspired, sports movie, then I I love Mark Farland. You were saying I like recommending it to people too. Yeah, yeah. They haven't watched it. I think it's important. I think it's such a cool story, um, it, for lots of different reasons. Um, so if Mark Farland, you were saying, really like that. You know, if I'm look if I'm looking to laugh at sports movie i always mention mike bassett england manager i think that's such a funny movie like it's so it's it's a bit dated now right uh, i'm not too sure if many people would even laugh at it but for me that that one gets me going every time yeah yeah, yeah you know here's interesting story i actually met um probably it was when i was here before probably i want to say maybe about now it's been probably about maybe five six years ago the so that mcfarland mcfarland usa movie had been out for maybe a year and a half two years maybe maybe and uh i actually met one of those runners he was oh, wow. he was promoting he was in san antonio and in texas he was promoting something regarding cross country right <clears throat> i forget what it was but he was actually on the previous school that i was at he was on our campus and he spoke to our cross country team excuse me he spoke to our cross country team and i got to meet him I think i kind of think i kind of pissed him off because i kept calling him kevin costner right because he was he was one of the runners not kevin right not the coach yeah no but no he was a great guy great great guy and it was, it was a really fascinating story yeah it's a great great movie great movie as well so um all right so this one always ruffles feathers here favorite and least favorite soccer team that's easy for me <laughs> um i'm a I'm, i told you it's from birmingham so i'm a birmingham city fan um not many people will know them because they haven't been in the Premier League for right. 12 years, maybe now. Right, right. Um, so on the flip of that, the team I dislike the most is Aston Villa because that's our that's our rival. So that's an easy one. That, that's just something that um, I fell in love with the sport because of that team. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and I think that, that as you know, my dad is a Birmingham City fan, and he used to take me and my brother down since we were babies. Like I think the very first game I went to yeah. was was a the Intertoto Cup. Intertoto? No. What was it? The Leyland Daft, the Auto Windscreen Shield. It's like a lower league um, <laughs> shield competition. That right. well, at that point, you know, Birmingham City were in the low, you know, low ends of Division One, high ends of Division Two. Uh, they, they got to a final, um, and uh, funnily enough, the first ever golden goal scored. Like when that rule came in, was Birmingham City? Uh, guy called, I think Ricky Otto scored the game. Uh, scored it again. I think mm. Carlisle United. So mm -hmm. I was four at the same time. My brother was seven. So like, you know, since then it's just sort of like just been this everlasting kind of heartbreak of, you know, uh, you know, you have to be a certain type of person to love a team like Birmingham City. 
you know, a lot of people are like, well, who's your Premier League team? I'm like, I don't have a Premier League team. Like Birmingham City is my team. I'm not one. I'm very um, snobby when it comes to people that have a Premier League team. To be honest, where where are they right now? Are they Championship League One? Where are they? Uh, championship. Well, championship. you know, there's a bit of controversy. You know, where where like some people might might um, ring a bell. So like at the start of the season, we had a we had a coach doing well. We're in the playoffs, and then uh, they shipped him off. Um, and they brought Wayne Rooney in, and since that right. happened, since that happened, we've only won twice. So it's not gone well for Wayne. Um, but you know, because Tom Brady and his little consortium came in, bought the club. Mm -hmm. the last ten years has been like terrible ownership of the club, so it's kind of gone one way, really bad. Yeah. Obviously, it pains me to see Aston Villa doing so well right now. So, um, but you know, we have an interesting family dynamic because my mom is an Aston Villa fan. Oh, nice. Uh, House divided, huh? Oh yeah. Well, you know, she just gets ganged up on because it's me, my brother, and my and my dad. So she's she's tough as old boots. That one. She knows how to. Now, did she purposely do that just because everyone else was Birmingham, or or uh, how did that happen? That, like, my mom and dad were like high school sweethearts, and when they met, my dad was a Birmingham City fan, and my mom was a Aston Villa okay. fan. So like, you know, I, I mean, it's a bit like that here in the U.S. I know Chicago was like this when it comes if you're a Cubs fan or a Sox fan, you like north right. where you live. Yeah, so, but it's the same thing with. You know, for me growing up, it was like if you're in the north of Birmingham, you're an Aston Villa fan. In the south of Birmingham, you're a Birmingham City fan. Well, I lived in the north. Mm -hmm. so I was just constantly surrounded by um, the terrible claret and blue. Um, so it was, you know, my dad is just, if you ever met him, he's as stubborn as a mule. So um, he, he took pride in the fact that we're Birmingham. He was going to raise his Birmingham City fans in, in Aston Villa territory. So. Okay. Nice. It's been, it's been a, a thorn in our side ever since, but yeah, that's that was such an easy question for me to yeah. ask. Now, is the rivalry? Here's the thing, though. For for as long as Birmingham's been out of the Premier League, now yeah. is the rivalry like still as fierce, still as fiery? Has it lost some of that, some of that fire a little bit uh, because they don't, they're not seeing each other regularly? How? Yeah, no, it's it's a good question because I grew up with Birmingham being in the the old Division One, which would be now the Championship, and then we got promoted in. 2012 no 2002 and 2003 i was in high school and so that was like the first time birmingham and villa are playing each other in i think it was like 10 15 years probably yeah. and you know you can youtube some things it was fierce right. so like in terms of like you know if i'm going to get in a debate which i was last weekend with with friends of mine about blues and villa it's hard to debate that like you know you know your villa are third in the premier league and doing well and you know biggest stadium blah, 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 all that sort of stuff it's like it's not necessarily a rivalry of like who's better um i think at this point it's like clearly that the answer is there for us all to see so but the, the debates of blues and villa is is always going to be there whether we play each other every week or or not right. i think um yeah the next the likelihood of us going up and then coming down it still might be a while to be honest we're not going up very anytime soon so the next time we play each other i'm sure it will be fiery that's right. it. It always is, to be honest. It's one of the better rivalries in, in 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 England, to be honest. I think a lot of, I mean, unfortunately, I don't know if you watched the Man United Liverpool game the other day, but like that's supposedly one of the top rivalries in the Premier League, and it was like it was a library out there. It wasn't a good atmosphere at all. So I think uh, I'm not sure what you know the corporatization of the Premier League. Maybe I don't know. But yeah, some of that obviously plays a role, right, but, for yeah. sure. Next time you see a Blues Villa game, tune in. It'll be it'll be fireworks. Yeah. All right. All right. Next one. So. Um, you are appointed the I call this this made up position, right? Of soccer czar in America. What's one thing first change you would make in soccer in America tomorrow? 
and anything goes, everything's on the table. Yeah. First thing you change, agenda item number one. Wow, that's a tough one because there's, there's a. It's almost like there's so many, uh, so many things that you want to change. I'm sure everyone's got like four or five things they want to change, right? And I think that um, the thing that made me think a little bit when I came over here and, and I saw it happen in, in Europe a lot that made me go, I think this is probably what I would like to see is the men's national team match the success of the women's national team, which is like, I would like to see United States national team at the top. Like, I, I think that the talent pool that's here, the population size, you know, the size of the sport, I would, what I would like to see is can the MLS and can the national team really, you know, Unfortunately, the way Europe looks at the MLS and the way that Europe looks at the men's national team, it's kind of like they're like brushed to the side, which I think is a shame because for me, obviously, like the, the game over here in particular has given me so much personally. So I'd like, I would love to see it really be, you know, respected, I think, in, in a lot of ways. And I think for me, when I look at what Germany did, I think in 2006, Trying to think now, my, my, my timeline's off, but the the turnaround, the dust reboot from yeah, right. Um, so obviously, people are aware of what Germany did. That you know, essentially, they the team they're under twenty ones, which I think won their mm -hmm. the European Championship or the World Cup for the twenty ones. Basically, two years later, turned around and won the the, the, the senior title as well. Right you know, back when, um, um, can you think what, what years was that? I'm, I'm thinking that was they won the it was 20 oh my god 2014 well, 2014 was was uh brazil right 2010 was south africa which yeah. was spain see that was 2014 it was the turnaround was was to 2014 because they won it in they won was it, it 20, yeah, 2014 the youth team won the 12 2012 competition either way so you see like the 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 German Football Federation suddenly go, we're going to invest in youth. We're going to invest in grassroots and we're going to build it up because we feel that if we, if we invest in grassroots, we'll, you know, what we want to do is win a World Cup. We want to win a major senior title, which is what they did. Mm -hmm. And then um, England also did the same thing. They suddenly decided, you know, in terms of like the attitude of, okay, we need to develop on the bottom end of the pyramid so that our senior teams can do better. Because, I mean, for me, I grew up with like, you know, you know, 1998 was the first World Cup I remember. You know, we lost to Argentina. Uh, 2000, we lost to Portugal in the quarterfinals. Brazil, we lost, sorry, in, in Korea, we lost to Brazil in 2002, quarterfinals. Um, so on and so forth. It's like constantly England were just getting bounced out. After they saw what Germany did, they suddenly said, we're going to change this. And we started to look at U21s and our U20s and our U19s winning European Championships and winning World Cups at the youth level, and then you're seeing this kind of uptick of like, well, England technically now is like seems to be always a top five at least team. You know, we're still missing the cutting edge to win a tournament, but obviously with semi-finals and finals, there's been this <coughs> excuse me, there's been this uptick in the in the senior side, um, and I think that so to go back to the question. What needs to happen if I was the Sakazaj who says, like, we need to replicate that in some way. So, you know, I think that what's the biggest barrier there? You know, I think that, you know, the pay to play system is a tough one for me to get my head around around here. To be honest, it is tough. I think that when you're looking at like you want to make sure all your talent pool is included, you need to make sure that that talent can afford to play. <coughs> right, right. That is a big stepping stone, I think. Um, 
then on the flip side of that, you know, like, you know, everybody in England that I grew up up until the academy systems were volunteers. And I don't think you get the quality of players with volunteers here in the US. You need probably paid coaches that have their licenses mm-hmm. and are yeah. doing it full time. So it's a tough one because I don't know what exactly the right um, yeah. version of that would be. But I do think that like US soccer, <clears throat> responsibility to figure out a way to spread this whether and the mls like needs to figure out all this money that they're making how do they get it to the bottom end of their pyramid so that you can actually truly say to i don't know families in san antonio and houston and austin like hey don't worry about paying we're gonna build a facility get you the kit get you the boots and get you the coaching and we're just gonna make sure you've just got to show up and be a quality kid and, and learn how to play which basically is what's happening all around europe and i think that case in point potentially of that system you know or doubling down on the point would be look at what european women's soccer has happened in the last five years you know there's a scare there's a scary thought that you know do the women's national team get overtaken now because the european systems on the women's side are very similar to what the men's system is right so then do you go well do, do do the women's national team surpass the u.s women's national team like clearly the european men have separated from the, the the us men's and stuff like that so i think for me just for the game to be respected and continue to be high i just think that there's more to it but i think that that pay to pay pay to play is is, is a tough thing for me to get my head around because i just think that like i grew up knowing that the game is for everybody and honestly here it's not it's not for everybody yeah, yeah. It really isn't yeah. and that but then that the popularity of sport you got basketball and football and volleyball that get in the way too so there's it's not a simple answer is it really but i'd say that that's probably something that i would massively look into trying to remove or at least try and subsidize massively because there's some money at the top end of that you know that mls i think they owe it to their communities to try and Mm -hmm. like i say like the amount of paying messi as much as i like seeing messi play i would love all that money to go into inner city miami i'll tell you what they get some players out of that and those players can go win a tournament for the men's national team yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, there's so we can go, we could turn that into that one question into a podcast in itself. Right. Um, yeah. there's just so many di- directions and I'm listening to you and, you know, I'm thinking in terms of the game being for everybody and it's designed, it's supposed to be inclusive. And, you know, you talk about the recent news on Friday of the, you know, MLS wanting to basically separate from the U.S. Open Cup, which is the oldest tournament in this country, regardless of sport, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just one more decision leading to exclusivity versus, you know, inclusivity. And and I think that's the pro. That's yeah. I'm, don't I'm gonna get going, right? I'm gonna get started, but yeah, um, just so much more. If you if you go on go, uh, Jimmy Conrad, right on. Uh, the CBS Golasso on Twitter. There was a great little clip of him today for about two and a half, three minutes talking about just his disappointment in the decision from MLS. If you get a chance, check it out. Um, It's a great little uh, from, it's a great little clip. I think it was cut from today's, I think morning footy show. Um, But if you get a chance, yeah, very good stuff. But yeah, well, we'll have to talk about that one more offline. I think that's that's why I love asking that question. Oh yeah. yeah. All right. Next one. Game day, any as a coach, not as a player, game day superstitions or rituals? Um, yeah, so to speak, you know, I think that um, I'm a big coffee drinker, so I always make sure I prioritize 
the timing and when I'm getting my coffee, the timing of it, that's for sure. So I guess that's kind of a ritual, so to speak. But there was a little bit of me like, you know, I, I sort of got, I openly said this to a friend of mine who you know, he said, hey, you should tease me about this. I used to be jealous of like fo footballers that had like their, uh, you know, I put my left boot on before my right boot. Yeah. Because, you know, for me, I don't know. Like, I was like, I used to like, I, I one time I heard one football say, yeah, I used to clean the house before I played. And every time I did, I played well. So I was like, I just stole his ritual. I was like, I'm just going to clean the house and see if I play well too. And it's just like, for me, every time I've tried to say like, oh, I'll just wear the same outfit after a win, we'll win again. Like, it's just like never worked out that way. So yeah. I've given up on, on those types of things and superstitions. Like, I'm just... Yeah. For me, it's just a case of like, I try to make sure that I get my coffee and I try to, um, before the game, go away. Um, just just me and just to like, you know, write my notes out, what I want to say to the team, how I want to deliver it and just be really thoughtful. So yeah. usually like a bit of a quiet space. Sometimes I'll like leave the office early and go sit on the bench outside and um, sit on the on the bench of the, of the field and just sort of like separate. So that's really it right now is just... Yeah. I make sure that I've got a clear head because, um, you know, it's. I found myself that if I don't get my coffee and I don't have a clear head, sometimes like you're being too reactionary in the game is not is not good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next one. Most uh, most recent binge watch, Netflix, Prime Video, what have you. Uh, probably last night we, me and my wife, we we said, oh, let's start the Beckham documentary. We haven't seen it yet, and then mm. we. Just, watching all the episodes because it was it was one of those which sort of now, how many episodes is it oh uh, four five i think it's not it's I'm, not a tremendous amount um, i'm like i'm like 20 minutes into the first episode and then just haven't had a chance to get back to it yet. it's good you know i think that again that's kind of like the uh the, the era of me growing up and loving the sport was like right there's a lot it's it's, it's nostalgic for me to be honest i really liked it because okay. talks about the 98 world cup that's the first world cup i remember like i vividly remember Mm -hmm. so David Batty and Paul Ince missing the PKs that that game, even though Beckham got sent off, like people always forget that we went to PKs and stuff. So no, the, um, yeah, that, that's a good one. It's a good documentary. I think it's, uh, it saw, it, it showed a side of him that I think nobody's seen before, which I thought was like really interesting just in terms of like, I remember how much the English press like beat him up after that night. Yeah. World Cup. I like, I do yeah. even as a kid, I was like, even I was like, yeah. like what is all this nonsense about? But then like, you can see him like getting emotional about it. And, like he still, it still bothers him now for sure. hundred percent. So it's sort of like, it's an interesting aspect because you sort of look at him as a bit of a, you know, he's this, you know, he's Beckham. He did everything he touches has just been amazing. Right. So but you can see kind of the inner turmoil of the, of the poor, poor bloke mm. just made a mistake or whatever. So really interesting, like kind of a fun, fun watch, especially for a football fan. Cause you see so many cool clips of, you know, the Galacticos and, and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, obviously his journey into the MLS too. So it's, it's worth watching. If you're, even if you're a half a football fan, a soccer fan, um, you'll like it. Yeah. All right. Good deal. So a couple more coach, we got three left here. So these yeah. are a little bit more, a little bit more introspective, a little bit more reflective as well. So, in three words, right? Trying to keep it as authentic as possible. I know sure. sometimes it can come across as cheesy or coach coach yeah. talk, right? But in three words, why do you coach? Uh, I just love football. I like soccer. That's the big one. Like, just like it, love it. It's just everything I've ever done since I was a kid. Um, I was, um, yeah, just I'm, a, I'm, I'm addicted to it. <laughs> I just love the game. Um, so absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with that. That's a great answer. 
Yeah. Believe yeah. it or not, I don't know. I don't know when I've asked this one. I don't know if anybody's ever actually said that. Yeah. Yeah, I think like you say, it's, if you want to be the most authentic, I just love football. I can't play anymore. I'm not good enough to play. So what's the best way to be around it? You know, with coaching. So I just, I just love the game. Um, you know, it's, it's luckily my wife played college soccer too. So like having mm -hmm. football on in the, in the, in the living room all yeah. day is a good thing. You know, I, I can get away with it. So like I go home, I watch it. Um, you know, I'm never away from it. I'm always talking about it, thinking about it. You know, I, I like, when I was in the pub with my friends last week, we just, that's all we spoke about. So like, just, yeah. it's just a part of who, who I've been. So that, that's a, that's a major reason. If the selfish reason would be that is to like, I just, I like being around the game and this is a job that allows me to be around it constantly, to be honest. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, Great. Well but, said. Yeah. I just see funny. I just don't think anybody's ever said that. So that's, that's pretty good. Pretty awesome. All right. How would you, or how would you, how would your players, sorry, how would they describe you? That's a, it's a, I don't know. That's a tough one. I have no <laughs> idea. Um, I don't know. I, I maybe I can answer it like what I I'll want say to. this: every coach always starts it with "I hope" or "I'd like to think." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think. Uh, I think um, potentially they they would describe me as like a sort of a calming effect. You know, I think that's something that um, I'm trying to be for my players. Um, I think there's sometimes there's the, there's the, the rah, rah, rah coach and, uh, and he's sort of like emotionally involved everything all the time, which is fine. It has its place and I do that. But I think that like, you know, sideline coach on the side, I'm a, I, I like to coach a lot on the sideline, but I think that um, I think it's important role as a coach to be uh, even keel. So like when the game's losing its mind, because the game sometimes just gets away from the ref or from the coaches, like I don't think it's, useful for me to also match that energy in a lot of ways because i think that like eventually mm -hmm. the kids are going to look over on the sideline and go what's he losing his mind about like he just can lose the confidence of the, of the, of the players a little bit but then um and then on the, on, the, on the flip side you kind of have to be ready to sort of turn the standard up and turn the intensity up and ask the girls every now and again like hey what are you guys doing you know so i think that for me i think that um it'd be that, to, you know, I, the emotional intelligence to know when to turn it down, be calm and when to turn it up and like get, get things going yeah. up. You know, like you say, I'll, I'll be this typical coach. Say, I hope that's what they think. Cause that's what I'm trying to do. But um, who knows, man, like it, that's such a funny question because it depends on the kid. I'm sure it's, the, you know, right. The right. Lot, well, who's playing a lot and who's not playing a lot. They might say two exactly. different things. About, <laughs> yeah. But you know, I think my target as a coach is always to be like, I want the kid that's potentially not playing a lot to be able to talk about positive things about me just because like I, I opened up the podcast saying like, you know, trust and kids have to know that we care. So, you know, I think that, you know, there's, for me, I don't want the kid who, uh, who plays a lot to feel like I care more about the kid that doesn't play a lot. I think for me, I'm always trying to do the opposite of that to be honest. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well said. And final one here. So you think back to your days when you were, when you, when you played, right when you were an athlete yourself and all these years later, having developed as a coach and what you've learned on uh, the application and the approach piece, if you could go back with what you know now as a coach and coach you right as the player, how would you have coached you? Um, wow. That's a good question. I think um, I would have 
maybe as a player, I, I overly emphasized the like, like say like pre-game, overly emphasized like the the emotional. I'm gonna get up for this game. I'm, my game was a lot of like physicality, so like you know, mm-hmm. um, tackling, heading, running the most, um, being the most physical presence. That's what I wanted to be. Um, that's the players that I admired in my you know growing up were all that. You know the the ones that unfortunately like you know fouled and were aggressive that's kind of what i wanted to be going back now i'd be like hey you just you coached me to be a way more intelligent player is what i would like to have um like to have instilled into the uh, into myself to be honest i think that now that i'm a coach and now i feel like you know whether it's decision making which i think is for me the, the thing that i try to make sure i coach the most is good decision making based on scenarios or whatever right <laughs> well i know now i didn't know any of it when i was a player to be honest um mm. a co- colleague of mine um kiki to be honest really opened up my eyes to that aspect of the game when i was a graduate assistant underneath him and for me it's just one of those as i'm going through my sort of coaching apprenticeship i was just like man i wish i had this as a player to be honest right um right. i think that's the intelligence side of things you know that's what i would put into like um you know any any youth player any club player or high school player that you know might listen to this or whatever it's going to be like, hey, the, the, the thoughtful process of the game is really, really important because I think you can be the best athlete, hardest worker, best technician potentially. But the IQ side of things ties all that stuff together. And right. I think that's why when you look at some of the best players that's ever played it, they've had that. The players that have been pretty good but never really regarded as the best is because they might lack that intelligence side of the game. So I think mm-hmm. that's, I think I missed that. I think I lacked that as a player, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how, you know, it, it's so true because it's kind of how I stumbled across, um, it's kind of how I stumbled across the question in, in asking it, right. Was the, that, that component of the things that we know that we learn as just, that comes with maturity and age. And, but particularly as a coach that you're exposed to, if you could just go back and insert it into your brain yeah. when you were playing, right. And just, it would just enhance the you know enhance the the player the athlete that you were so yeah so it's kind of life's vicious cycle i guess but uh but the great ones but you're right the great ones are the ones that can kind of marry those two together while they're still actively playing right? i think that's the consistent thread that i've seen the more i've coached the more like we look at like um you might look at someone like a young young player like jude bellingham right now who's like mm-hmm. clearly he's a you know physical specimen clearly he's a good technician um but the thing that's impressive right now is just sort of the intelligence that you're showing um the maturity that you're showing at a young age i guess that's another way of putting it as well like that might be something that a lot of young players that you know fail with you know that maturity to kind of deal with the ups and downs as a young player when i was when i was at academy football i was really poor at that i really really you know emotionally being stable as a player when you have a good session or a bad session and how you how you kind of um evaluate that and tell yourself you're a good or a bad player based on how you train or whatever like for me you know sometimes even now our players now if they have one bad session you know they 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 might think that we're evaluating them as a poor player now because they've had one bad session when i've like well i've seen you train a hundred times i I have a vision of you over those 100 sessions not Mm -hmm. over the one you know what i mean and i think that when you look at maturity to to kind of evaluate that and then the IQ to evaluate that 
you know, you look at someone like Drew Bellingham again, you go, man, that, that kid's got it now, which is why he's a high-performing player. And that's why everyone's, you know, saying that he's probably going to be one of those players, right? And I think that um, it's super important at every level. Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely make the case through this fall part of the season, right, that he can arguably be right now, right, the best player in the world right now, arguably. And he's he's 19, right? Or he just turned 20, I think. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, it's phenomenal. And it helps that it helps that I'm a real fan, right? So it's easier, yep. makes it easier to uh, to take in. But yeah, yeah, so true. So true. So Coach, that's going to do it, man. That's going to do it for counterattack, and that wraps up both of our segments. Uh, really appreciate you being here. And uh, as is customary, you know, we want to wrap up with in stoppage time here, as we call it. Kind of give the floor to our guest and share shout outs, thank yous, talk about anything else as it relates to the game that's on their mind, maybe a message to somebody. Uh, we want to go ahead and give you the floor. So the floor is yours. Um, yeah, I don't know whether I have a whole bunch. You know, I think that. Uh, um... Yeah, I just think I appreciate you having me on the on the uh, on the podcast. To be honest, because I think that the, for me, UIW is you know took a gamble on me. To be honest, took UIW the AD Richard Durant, like he he took a gamble on me to kind of like come in and, and do what he wanted me to do. And I think that um, it's the reason that they they took a gamble on me is because of a of a few individuals um, that helped me to get here. So you know, Kiki's one, Dirk is one. So obviously, you've spoken to Dirk. At, at, length too so yeah i think that I, I would like maybe names that don't get thrown out there in the, in the in the college realm but i think that those two are like um their programs are going to be phenomenal so and they're my boys too so i might as well say hi to yeah them. yeah yeah great stuff and you know and and, I'm, and thank you for that i appreciate the kind words but also we're definitely rooting for you i would be you know in full disclosure as i shared with you at the beginning right uh, being being a grad, right? It being my alma mater, I definitely, as I share here, right, yeah. um, definitely want to uh, rooting for your success, the success of your program, and uh, a program that I'm definitely connected to, and uh, wishing you the absolute best, and grateful, grateful to have you here. I think uh, you know, I think they got a good one in you, and uh, looking forward to great things in the future. Um, so, appreciate you again, Coach, and uh, we're gonna wrap up. Uh, my final thoughts, really. Not a whole lot. I think is if you if you're watching this, obviously you can see it down on the bottom ticker. If not, if you're hearing this, uh, upcoming episodes we do have Jason Jason French, the partnerships manager at Gipper, from our proud partners at Gipper. He's going to be joining us. We're going to be able to talk all, a lot of things regarding social media, Gipper graphics, how you can better market your program, uh, and then we also have the upcoming the <laughs> the holiday edition episode that's kind of become a tradition with. Coach Sean Soderling and uh, Nick Rizzo. Sean Soderling, who was actually just on our uh, episode 100, our three-year anniversary show the other day, he just stepped down from his role as the head women's soccer coach at Brescia, and we're looking forward to, in anticipation, to his next move as well. And then Coach uh, Coach Rizzo, Nick Rizzo, who is also the head women's soccer coach at St. Mary's in Minnesota, so he's doing great stuff there as well. So we'll be excited to have them, and we do have a couple of others that will be joining us. Those just aren't lined up yet, so be on the lookout for those dates, those times. Other than that, the main thing we really want to share is just thank you to everybody, your supporters, our listeners. We've made it to three years. Pretty fun, pretty cool to watch what the podcast has, uh, what it has materialized into, and then being able to have coaches be joined by coaches such as Coach Plant here today. So thank you to all of you. 
go on YouTube, please subscribe, go on there. That's one of the quickest ways to get us in that algorithm more. Go on there, like, rate, subscribe on YouTube. You can also find us on, on, uh, on Twitter X, as I've been calling it, uh, at 50 underscore 50 pod. We're on Twitch as well. And then we're actually now live on Instagram live. That's where you'll catch our live shows as well. In addition to obviously on, on Twitter X. So, and you can find us on Instagram itself at at 50 underscore 50 podcasts. So, so for coach Jake plant, the head women's soccer coach, university of incarnate word, the UIW Cardinals wishing you the absolute best of luck in 24 coach. Thank you for being here. I am your host coach Hector Cano. And until the next time, you know what to do. Keep downloading and keep listening. You've been listening to the 5050 podcast powered by national scouting report. Help us continue to grow by liking rating and subscribing on all major podcast platforms. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at 50 underscore 50 pod on Instagram at 50 underscore 50 podcast, as well as on YouTube at the 50 underscore 50 podcast. Until the next time, keep downloading and keep listening.